Hello, you're listening to It's Cyber Up North with me, Phil Jackman. And me, Kimberly Hendry. Hi, Kimberly. How are you? Good, good. How are you, Phil? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Well, today we're honoured with a special guest, Andy Pannell, who we've known for a long time, I think. In fact, we were at our first ever Cyberfest conference. I think you're one of the speakers. How are you, Andy? Hey, thanks, Phil. Thanks, Kimberly. Yeah, very good. Thank you. Yes. Gosh. So how long ago was that then? First Cyberfest? Eighty-five years. This year's its sixth year, um, and so God blame it just seems to be flying by. So it was at Northumbria University, and it was a really good event, and uh, a, a mixture of people that was there. That's um, something new enthusiasm, yeah, which soon wears off. But they, uh... yeah, and it's kind of snowballed ever since. I guess it's kind of grown from, I don't know, like me, and then DCM. I remember DCMS being there, and then you know a few people from Watsons, and it's kind of grown ever since. It's nice to see. You know, getting bigger and getting more representation and more people coming along. Yeah, so we ended up with, I think, 17 events this year, which is probably too many. And um, But I say this every year, we're going to do fewer <laughs> events and then we do end up with it'd be 24 or 36 this year. I said, yeah, some exponential number, that's binary number. Anyway, that's that's something to think about. We've got some big plans for this year as well, which we'll be announcing uh, shortly, hopefully. Yes, I think for this event or this podcast, we're going to have a bit of a a sort of technical chat, aren't we, about current issues. Obviously, we've got this very special um, experienced guest on the the call, haven't we, Andy? So we've got lots to talk about with him. Um, So, yeah, so should we talk about some um, sort of live cybersecurity issues? Is there anything that's been in the news lately that's um, piqued your interest, Andy? I think prior to Christmas, I think... um... Like typically in the way that these things operate, the like the year before last, uh, it was log for J, and then in 2022, just before Christmas, it turned out being LastPass, and um, so LastPass like a, a large password manager that we've kind of as an industry recommended to people because people are really bad at remembering passwords. They started to breadcrumb and talk about in August they had this breach, but don't worry, you know, it, it was nothing to you know nothing significant, no payment details, no passwords were taken. And and um, as the story kind of evolves and more incident response and more investigation happens, they revealed actually, uh, ultimately towards the end of the year, user uh, data was at risk and passwords have been taken and uh, website URLs were, were exposed. So I think that's definitely kept me busy over, over the last few weeks, trying to understand what the exposure was, what the risk was, and what we needed to do as an organization and as, as a person, you know, how we react to these events, because a kind of single source of truth that we've all spent time invested in and all of a sudden you know it goes kaput i guess yeah, so do you think it's something about christmas that uh that brings out the best and worst in these in these guys i, I definitely think so i think that you see um a t- there's a company called time hop and i think it was 20 2018 they got hacked on around july the 4th and i think criminals know that the it teams take you know breaks around certain times a year so generally you know uh, if you're looking at the West Christian holiday type holidays, um, so Christmas, uh, yeah, New Year, uh, when you know there's a skeleton staff, maybe um, this hap- ha- uh, hack happened in August. Um, so uh, the fact that LastPass decided to release information two days before Christmas meant I was working a little bit more than what I thought I was expected to. But I definitely think this is uh, an event of hey, staff are going to be low. 
um, stuff's going to happen. You know, we're going to be rain maybe undetected or uh, are detected uh, for a longer time without, um, you know, setting off alarms for sure because skeleton staff, because people aren't really uh, looking, uh, you know, as, as much as probably, you know, on a normal nine to five Monday to Friday. Yeah, people are like winding down for the holiday period, aren't they? And yeah. even from a, a PR perspective of it being um, sort of spoken about by the company, um, there's not many journalists around or people aren't paying as much attention to the news, are they? So I think that's um, definitely a lot of people spoke a lot about the loss of goodwill of the way LastPass have handled it. Almost this has been, will be a case study to be studied of how to handle something badly. I've um, read many articles from very disgruntled people in the industry saying they're done with LastPass of how they've handled it. And like you said, this breadcrumbing of information and not being clear, because obviously that's what people want. Like what has what has been exposed? What do we need to do? But the way they've been quite murky with it, um, explaining things, that's that's not been a good good way of doing it, has it? So I, I think because we've learned our lessons from Talk Talk, and all the, 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 the uh, all the things that went on there. Sorry, Andy, I've, I've talked over you there. I think one of the problems was is the way that they communicated this to regular users. So they did, um, for me, they wrote a really good technical blog and I read it and I understood it. And I was like, okay, this is what I need to do as a technical user. Uh, and I asked some non-technical friends who lost LastPass, read this blog post, what do you need to do? And they were like, I don't have a clue. And so great that you've told your technical community what you know what they need to do but actually the majority of users are probably non-technical or been advised by technical people and what they needed to know is hey you probably need to change your password and you probably need to change some years you know your master password or your main password and you probably need to rotate some of those other passwords because they're at risk and that just wasn't communicated well so like you know a, a perfect storm almost well you know in the worst possible way yeah yeah this might even have a bit of a knock on to um, sort of security and awareness training because so much emphasis is made on have a, a long, unique password. Great way of doing it is just have a password manager. And like you say, so many people recommend LastPass and revalue them. So this might have a sort of a re-education for a lot of people, wouldn't it really? I think reputationally it might damage us as well. Mm -hmm. Would damage who, Andy? I think mean, the industry um, as a whole, you know, for years we've been saying use a password manager, you can't remember all these complex passwords. And I think the average person says this doesn't make sense. What happens if, you know, this one place where I put all my money gets hacked or all this one place where I put all my passwords get hacked, all these eggs in one basket. And we know, no, don't worry, you know, they're audited differently. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's protected differently. It's, uh, it's secure, even if they do get attacked. There's no way that uh, this information could be leaked because of protections that's in place. And all of that has unfortunately kind of unraveled. And I think it will take us a little bit of time um, as an industry going up to the board saying, hey, you know, getting that reputation back, getting a little bit of that respect back, uh, kind of coming with our tails between our legs because there is almost an element of like, hey, you told, you led us down this merry path of security and um, you kind of led us like in almost into the wrong way. Um, I don't think that's fully true, but I think that's how some business owners, uh, some C-suite execs um, may see security. So they said, though, that um, if, I'm, if I'm reading this correctly, they claim that none of the passwords were, were uh, readable because they're all encrypted. Is, is that true? Or? So they initially said that the, the data hadn't been taken. Um, so everyone kind of breathed a sigh of relief of like, well, 
like it's bad that it's been attacked, but uh, fortunately no data has been taken. And then they said, well, um, you're protected because even though they've took the vault, um, we've got like you know a hundred thousand layers of encryption, and that's true for some circumstances. But there are some circumstances where if you're a legacy user, you've used it for a long time. You maybe the irony is that if you're an early adopter, you're exposed more than someone who's recently adopted this product. Um, so yeah, it's. Like, I don't want to come across like a lawyer, but it depends, um, you know, is the, is the answer depending on how strong your main password was, which, um, you know, if you're using a strong password, uh, that's great. If you're not, then um, potentially the attacker's got access to those passwords. They can brute force them and guess them. Um, so, yeah, it, it depends, which isn't a great answer to give um, when you're trying to give advice to people around what they should do. So was, am I right in thinking that there was, a, but there was a lot of information that was uh, grabbed, which wasn't in, um, encrypted, let's say URLs and things like that. And exactly. And, and so, can, yeah. Go on, sorry, Phil. So I was going to say, can that can that then be used to find out more about that person and therefore kind of triangulate the the, the identity? Yeah, and I think if you are using. Um, we all we all probably think that metadata may not be important, but if you're using a service um, which could give away your uh, information, your location, your sexuality, which may be illegal in certain countries, uh, or any other reason why you want to not let people know where you, what websites you log into, that information is potentially now exposed. You can uh, find a user who works at an organization, or you could find a user, um, you know, based in uh, you know, maybe the Middle East that uh, visits websites which um, are potentially against uh, laws in that country. So, I think that's a that's a huge risk here that a lot of people aren't talking about is that that the URLs and the websites where the passwords are saved, even if the passwords aren't guessable, you can still draw links around. Hey. This is a user of this service, but also as a business, hey, we know these businesses use um, this software. You know, we know we use this for accountancy. We can then use that to target the business, phishing attacks and more and other types of attacks. So um, I think sometimes whilst the password being taken is bad, this, let's say, this huge leak of, of the metadata and this other underlying password data uh, is as bad. Gosh, just I don't, hadn't even thought of it till you said that about phishing attacks. That, I mean, that's going to be a whole new thing, a whole new level of them saying like your your details might have been compromised in this last pass leak, or um, we recommend you do this and take this action. And it's going to be so hard to spot, isn't it? It's going to be a nightmare. Yeah, because you're expecting that email because you know because you use that site and you know the last pass breach so you know you've got the one and the one that makes two that mm -hmm. that almost adds a, an air of legitimacy to around one of the things we say around uh phishing scams is that you may find that you get an email from barclays even though you've never banked with barclays so you can kind of disregard that straight away whereas this is much you know there's the background of we know you use this service and we know you use LastPass, and we know there's been a breach um all of a sudden it, it seems a lot more legitimate yeah so, so where do we go from here? I mean, what what is the advice for people? Who, uh, firstly, for people who are using LastPass, but secondly, people who are using other password managers, because other password managers are available. So for me, I think continue to use a password manager, no matter how um, you know how bad the situation may have got. Using a password manager is better than the majority of people's brains to to try and remember passwords. Um, you may want to look away you move away from LastPass. um you may not i think the the best time to join is, is probably around now when they're doing a huge security audit um you know they're under the focus and scrutiny of security um 
you know, rotate that main password that you used to log into LastPass uh, and rotate any passwords that you think may be at risk because you don't have two-factor authentication. So you may be a little bit less risk if, I don't know, you've got your Facebook password saved in there, but you have to, you get a text message when you log into Facebook and you have to put that code in as well. Um, but yeah, rotate rotate passwords, unfortunately, which is a huge pain when you've got, you know, a couple of hundred unique passwords you're using across a couple of hundred unique services. Should we be using more than one password manager? Um, I use two. Um, I, I use some uh, for, I kind of try to spread the risk a little bit. And um, so I maybe put some uh, sensitive in one, in one, some sensitive in another, again, for this exact reason. Um, and it has to be said, one of my password managers does encrypt the URLs. So even if they could become compromised, they're protected. Um, there's a key derived from that uh password manager that only I know. So even if the password vault was taken, um, the, the idea being that that password vault is protected. Um, so I guess shop around if, if you know, that, like you say, there is more than uh, one password manager. There is solutions where you manage it yourself, which uh, is great from a security perspective, but maybe not from a user experience perspective. So as always, it's about getting that balance, what's right for each individual person. Yes, um, speaking as someone who managed it themselves, I had KeyPass. And so you, you store the vault yourself on your own computer, on your own device. And then in a fit of let's tidy up, <laughs> delete loads of files. <laughs> I accidentally deleted my own vault. So. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> you use that error, eh? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, well, that's, I think that, that's really sound advice. So I'm, I'm just going to go on another subject now, really, which is uh, kind of springs on from this. I read today that uh, premiums, cybersecurity insurance premiums have gone up 66% uh, this year. Are, are we getting to the point, do we think, that uh, cyber attacks are just uninsurable? Kimberly, what do you think? I don't know what, what uh, that security company does. I don't. I don't deal any of that side, to be honest. Um, I do know we we build seams. We do, we build at that security company. We build like low cost seams for um, tech companies using open source technology. And lots of customers or potential customers come to us saying we have to have a seam. We have to have security incident and monitoring as um, to fulfil our insurance. So. Um, it seems to be a requirement a lot more just to prove that you are having some sort of monitoring. Um, but whether it comes to if companies are uninsurable, I, I don't really know, to be honest. What do you think, Andy? I think we're going to get that way. I think it's going to become, whether you call them like natural catastrophes, acts of God, they get these, uh, you know, acts of war. I think it's going to get to the point where the insurance premiums are so high, the insurance companies can't pay out on them. Um, or it's going to become so difficult to be, to get insurance because you're going to have to jump through, you know, a thousand hurdles that um, we, we, it's kind of weird. We did we didn't start off with cyber insurance, you know, and then this market seemed to erupt because of the demand for ransomware attacks. Um, and yeah, one of the one of the large giants has basically said this is soon to become uninsurable again. So it's kind of gone for this weird like you know bell curve effect. Um, it's difficult and how much. There is no perfect protection. I guess when you're driving a car, you know, the, someone's manufactured that car. It goes for an MOT every year. There's an element of, like, you, you understand what that risk looks like. I think from cybersecurity, it, it's quite difficult. The, the adversaries are, are moving so fast every day that even if you filled in this insurance form a week ago, the, you know, the attack service or, and you're adding services looks completely different to what you declared maybe a week ago. So 
it is hard. But yeah, I guess that the the insurance industry can't really assess the risk yet. That it, it's such an unstable kind of um, environment in which to be operating. That until they can be more certain of this, and you can tell how many car crashes are going to be up to date. You can tell what damages are going to be because there's so much statistics behind that. Cybersecurity just isn't there yet, is it? And you're generally not adding stuff to your car every day, right? You're not, you know, changing the engine. You're not, you're not driving two cars. You're not, um, you know, you're not maybe not changing the wheels every day. You're uh, removing the wheels because you think maybe you don't need a wheel, and you know you can get away with free if you need, um, or you can, you know, you're changing the um, the manufacturer uh, or, or outsourcing some of that risk to someone else. I think that's the difficulty, like you say, because there's so many moving parts, because this industry has not been established for long enough, it makes insurance is based on risk and that risk how do you quantify that risk becomes incredibly difficult yeah, I mean so you've let Phil mention cars Andy and you've not mentioned all your fancy your fancy interesting cars <laughs> yeah my car is not connected to the internet my car does not have a sat nav it is a uh, it is very Billy basic uh, it probably belongs in Beamish Museum but I yeah yeah is it a basic port is that yeah i don't know if such a thing exists but yeah it's um i get in it and drive it hasn't got it's not connected to the internet it hasn't got uh any you know a remote start or remote unlock or like warm the seats remotely or any of that stuff yeah excellent well that uh that seems like a great point for a short break and then i think after the break we'll come back and andy you can tell us what you're up to great You're listening to It's Cyber Up North with Phil Jackman and Kimberly Hendry. And this week's guest is Andy Pannell. You can watch all these recordings on Spotify. To ensure you don't miss any future episodes, don't forget to subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome back to It's Cyber Up North with me, Kim, me Phil Jackman. I'm not Kimberly Hendry, no, me, Phil Jackman. <laughs> Kimberly Hendry and our guest uh, Andy Pannell. Oh well, welcome back. Um, so yeah, so previously we were talking about um, everything that's in the news, current cyber attacks, and um, we start talking a bit about cars. So you have a passion for cars, but you also do work in the industry, don't you, Andy, as well? And yeah. So that's what you do. So my my job title now is application security lead, and I work for a company called Get. So we work in grand, ground transportation management, and what that means is taxes, really. Um, you know, so um, both to businesses and to consumers, um, and I help protect the the mobile applications that customers use, as well as all the infrastructure, the cloud infrastructure, uh, the websites, uh, and the APIs. Okay, so is it sort of an an app first business? Is would it be classed as one of those? Yep, app first, cloud first, um, and it's it's kind of odd that. Um, when I tell people I work for like a taxi company, they they don't really. The first question is, well, why do they need like cybersecurity? You know, it's it's just cars. But you, there was a a piece of work that went out a few years ago. I, I want to say maybe five or six years ago, where this New York taxi company they decided to anonymize all of the data around all of the journeys that had been made by their passengers uh, and release it into the wild, so that people could do uh, you know wonderful analytics and and it would be like uh, you know good for uh, good for data. But quite quickly, people managed to de-anonymize all of that data, uh, figure out where you know celebrities were, were uh, working, uh, living, um, you know where they were visiting quickly. We talked about metadata earlier in LastPass, but as soon as you can figure out where someone lives or what regular journeys they're making, or again maybe they're visiting somewhere where they 
they don't want people to know uh, for whatever reason that suddenly becomes hugely interesting to to both from a privacy perspective uh, from a security perspective and and for attackers yes yeah, so I, I, you know there's that saying about uh, six degrees of separation and you know, everybody's related to everybody through six degrees i'm sure it works the other way around if you had six pieces of information you could work out everything who that person is and uh, it's kind of it's it kind of what we're talking about bringing that metadata together um yeah so fascinating and uh, it's an israeli company is it yeah, so uh, founded in Israel uh, about 10, 11 years ago now, um, but has uh, provide, provide services both to Israel and, uh, and to the UK. So uh, a lot of the black cabs in London are run by, run by GET. Okay, so you application security lead. Um, so what kind, of, what kind of tasks do you have? What, what kind of threats do you, do you face? Um, what do you do? So we, we face a mixture of political. So given that we're an Israeli company, um, I'm sure you can probably list off, uh, you know, like Iran, uh, Russia, a long list of Middle Eastern countries that um, don't like the existence of Israel, for starters, um, both politically and religiously. Um, but then also the traditional type of attacks were, um, you know, insider risk. So very much insiders having, uh, you know, too much access to, to things. Um, we have drivers and riders. So Drivers maybe work for multiple companies, um, not just not just get, and they're trying to uh, maybe you know get information on other drivers or get the you know get drives before any other driver. Uh, riders are trying to get discounts um, or maybe get information about um, you know, the, if they can influence the rates. Um, we're cloud native, so we've got all of the cloud stuff in there. So um, you know, years ago you built a server, you maintained it, whereas now it goes into the cloud. We've got some of that responsibility to secure it. Um, and then all of the development lifecycle as well. So um, training the developers, making sure they're building uh, code securely, um, making sure we're patching things, um, making sure we're threat modeling so we understand uh, all of the threats that we've already spoken about and understand how we can mitigate those or, or ri uh, risk accept them if, if appropriate. Um, and yeah, I'm enjoying it. It's, uh, I've been there about three months now, but it's exciting. Well, that's interesting. So giving you a very fundamental question with the whole um, back to basics. So CIA, um, um, confidentiality, integrity, availability. What's what's the kind of things that you worry about the most? Uh, which one's most important for you? Do you think where can it get? It, it's kind of a mixture. So I work. Um, I work with the engineering team. I sit under engineering. So the engineering team are massively concerned about. Uh, the availability of servers, making sure they're available and up, they've got a good uptime. Um, so a lot of my role is is, uh, is around that. Um, but then you've got the confidentiality aspect is that, uh, as I mentioned before, we need to make sure this, the data is secure. We need to make sure how people register correctly. And, and um, yeah, when, when we're not letting uh, drivers spoof uh, their locations, they're getting, you know, free jobs. Um, and then making sure that the information is correct. So like, it's a, it's a kind of get out of jail answer, but all free for, for sure. Um, in, in different aspects, in different parts of my job, working with different, uh, you know, internal customers, I guess, uh, the engineering team, I, I straddle along, so obviously I the security team. So it's, it's, um, it's quite difficult to kind of, I guess security is all about that balance. And that's the majority of my role is, is getting that balance between security and usability. Getting so that balance. That so yeah, I'm, I'm not. A, I don't use taxis very much, but I know my, my daughters do, and I, I'm always worried about safety in taxis and that, personal safety. And is that a big issue within? Is there a crossover between cyber safety and um, personal safety? I think so. I think especially if because we are using the GPS on the uh, both on the driver and the rider, we're pulling that information. Um, you know, it's information that an attacker 
would like to have access to. They would like to know, imagine, you know, you're, you're hostile, so whether that's, you know, an ex-partner you're wanting to track or a celebrity, being able to get that information in real time, someone's location um, would be invaluable. So um, we make, make sure that we obscure uh, phone numbers, we obscure, um, you know, real time information, we limit it internally to who has access to that information. Um, but conversely, um, we do a lot of B2B work where a PA may book a taxi for an executive and it's important that they, you know, the executive, you know, gets in that taxi, is routed to the right place. Um, so we share the information where it makes sense to from a security perspective, um, both physical and, and cybersecurity. And then we restrict that access, uh, you know, again, when it's when it's important that people don't have, have that access. Such, such a fascinating area. So if you if you wouldn't mind, I'm going to just come on to my last topic that I wanted to talk about, and that's as if Twitter didn't have enough troubles at the moment. I think they've, they've managed to lose, was it 400 million or 400,000? Was it 400 million there, Twitter users? It's a, it's a huge number anyway. Is this the same issue around metadata and, uh, and being able to triangulate people and coordinate this, this information here? Yeah, I think, I think one of the reasons why Twitter did so well um, prior to the takeover for, for sure is that people felt it was like the town hall that they could um you know openly speak about what was going on um of course you get the you know the divisive idiot that you do anywhere but i think the major majority of the that people felt uh, comfortable in what they were saying uh, and there was an, a degree of anonymity anonymity around what people were saying um so when you feel like you're not being watched people are more open for for good and for bad what we've seen is that uh, 400 million, you're right, it's, it's the record where people are able to tie information. So um, like, you know, real email addresses to real accounts, which maybe isn't that bad until again, you think about outside maybe the West areas where maybe people don't want to be known, uh, you know, what they're tweeting because of, um, you know, laws in, uh, that's governing their country uh, for what, or for whatever reason, um, you know, they don't want people to know that it's them running that account for legitimate interests, not, not, for, not for nefarious interests. Um, so it is slightly terrifying um, that through a back door that someone's managed to find, they've managed to gain access to, to all 400 million. You would think at some point during the attack, Twitter would notice that someone is abu abusing this information. So... I mean, even if, you know, worst case scenario, you get 100 million records, at some point, someone's got to turn that tap off. You would think that someone in Twitter would notice by now. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it is frightening. But could it be that they were looking the other way because they had other things to worry about, such as having a job? Well, potentially. And what we often see is that uh, attackers are quite clever, so they will misdirect. So they may start a denial of service attack. And whilst the security team's working on that denial of service attack, they'll go and do something else. Um, you know, they may steal data, uh, you know, uh, from somewhere else in the system while the security team are working on what they see as the bigger attack. Um, so may maybe it is that. Maybe it is they worry about the jobs. Uh, maybe they're distracted by by the new boss. Um, I guess it's I guess it's difficult to say. And we'll, we'll probably never find out. But yeah, four hundred million records uh, being leaked is a is a big problem. Like you're saying. Looking how the database has people's emails and phone numbers, and there's us in the industry saying, oh, use multi-factor authentication. But then if these phone numbers are, are accessible, you have um, SIM, is it SIM card spoofing, that kind of thing. Um, just makes everything a lot harder, doesn't it, really? And the, the tools that we have and the advice we have also becomes like, part of the problem, doesn't it, really? Yeah. I mean, if you combine both of these, you combine the LastPass attack and the Twitter attack, 
You've got uh, people's email addresses, people's phone numbers, people's Twitter handles. You know what websites they log into. Like that's a that's a hell of a huge database. That when you start again, it's kind of in the theme of the show metadata. But as soon as you start adding all of that metadata together, um, you can build a massive picture around um, you know who people are, what services they use, and and like those phishing attacks we've mentioned uh, earlier. It's it is terrifying. Mm -hmm. That should be the name of the show, Metadata. <laughs> it's terrifying up north, absolutely. Well, I think that's probably a good, a good point to, uh, to bring this to close, because we could, we could talk all night on this, and I was going to talk about the post office and all sorts of things. But uh, before we go, then, I could just can ask you one prediction for this year, what's going to be the next big thing, and while you're thinking about it, I'm still convinced that the merger of OT and IT is a, is a potential uh, risk, as is, for me, I'm going to go with two. The rise of low code, no code are kind of uh, worrying for me. Kimberly, what are you thinking? The next big risk. Yeah, yeah, um, what's, yeah what do you think is going to happen? Yeah. Give, give me a moment. I, I need to. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'll put you on the spot. Andy? I'll give you mine. Mine is AI. So we've seen AI get clever over the next last few years. Um, we've seen like chatbots and uh, like assistants and virtual assistants and Siri and Google and Amazon and oh look Alexa's in our house. Do we need to be worried? Is it recording all the time? I think I don't know if you've seen the some of the chat GPT stuff. Um, yes. but that is frightening. One of the one of the defenses we had against phishing attacks was they are not great at English, so you can generally pick up when it's a phishing attack because uh, it's, it's pretty poor in English. If you've got a chatbot, which is incredible at writing emails, better than probably what I can, uh, so elegantly, that is frightening. Not alone phishing emails, let alone malware, let alone everything else it can do. I think we'll see the rise of AI massively this year uh, uh, in the cybersecurity industry for, for bad and hopefully for good. So beware of well-written and courteous emails. They're courteous <laughs> from somebody. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Especially if they come from me. Absolutely. And me. Did you manage to have a think of something? No, I agree. AI, I was going to say the chat, the chat GPT is, uh, like you said, is actually incredibly exciting and amazing, but also terrifying. We're just starting to see how it can be used. So, yeah, definitely this, that this year is going to make big, big waves. Excellent. So we're looking forward to AI losing our passwords rather than us doing it ourselves. So there you go. Great. Look, that's been really entertaining and really interesting. And thanks very much, Andy, for bringing your expert uh, knowledge to that. Thank you very much, Kimberly. And also thanks to Robert, who uh, is doing all the stuff behind the scenes. You've been listening to It's Cyber Up North. Catch our next uh, episode in a couple of weeks. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to It's Cyber Up North, the new podcast from Cyber North. Audio and video production was by me, Robert Campbell. This was a Rant Out Loud production for Cyber North. <laughs>